to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, all right, Mark chapter 4. Let's look at verse 21. And... Um, interesting passage here. Jesus says to them, do you bring in a lamp? This is the NIV version, by the way. He says to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or under a bed? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Instead, he says, don't you put it on its stand or its lampstand. For whatever, in verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant uh, need to go back to that, is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed, there you go, is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully, he says, what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And finally, verse 25, whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is a fascinating passage, and if you can go back to the beginning, we're going to walk through it. This is coming on the heels of the message I preached last week about Jesus' parable of the seed, the soil, and the sower. And really about the four kinds of hearts that Jesus came to transform. If you missed that, you can go on our website and watch it again, or... Or, or download our podcast with uh, Blake. He's rocking out the podcast every every week. Sermons go out in podcasts. Um, but but it was it was really it was an invitation from Jesus. It was an invitation to those who were listening to him to invite the truth or the word of God or him, the reality of who he was, to invite him into the soil of their heart, and not just to invite him, but to get rid of the rocks that would block. His, his entanglement with their mind and with their heart, and, and then to get rid of the competing desires that as they grow in their relationship with, with, with him, that they would compete and possibly tear down. So it was, a, it was an invitation from Jesus. But within that invitation, there's an interesting little passage that we read last week, a quote from Isaiah, where, G, where it says that Jesus was talking to them in parables because... Because that way they would hear and not understand and they would see and not understand what they're seeing. And so it sounds almost like, and I mentioned this last week, it sounds kind of like Jesus does not want everyone to receive him and to be saved. We know that's not true because scripture says that God desires, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. So obviously God wants everybody, but why then does, does this scripture quoted from Isaiah that talks about God hiding things, hiding the truth so that people don't find it? Well, Jesus is now explaining that, right? In verse, I think it was verse 24, uh, verse 22, it says, for whatever is hidden is intended to be unhidden or disclosed. So what Jesus is explaining to his listeners, he says, look, I'm not trying to cut people out of the kingdom. I'm not trying to block people or, or conceal the truth so that people won't find it. He says, instead, I've hidden some things in order to bring them out. Does that make sense? Whatever is hidden is intended. So he's talking about the intention of the hider. 
It's like playing hide and seek with, with your kids. You intend to be found. Now, I'm a great hide and seeker. I've always been like stellar. And so when I was a kid, I did not want to be found. I remember one time, like we, we, I, I hid so well that everybody after about an hour just gave up. There was like eight, eight of us. I was like 14 or 13 or something. And I climbed up into the roof of the house where we were. And this is at night. And I got down in the crevice of where the roof was, where there was a shadow. And I just like laid right in the shadow and super still, right? And like, like after an hour or so, everyone just gave up and they went inside and played, I don't know, Sega Genesis or something, whatever it was. Like, you know, and, and so I finally came down, you know, and after I'm like, well, I guess, I, but that was the point. Like, that means you win. That's awesome. Right? So I came in the house looking like I just won fantasy football. Like, come on, somebody. Like, here, I, like the Detroit Lions walking out of the New York Jets today. Like, I just, this by faith. I'm just saying that's the way they're going to walk out. They're going to walk out victorious, conquer, you know. And so I just came walking into the house like, yeah, I, like, I'm the best hide and seeker ever. But when you're a parent, that's not good. <laughs> you don't want to hide and your three-year-old be like, well, okay, I guess I'll go out and play out in the street. Like, no, 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 no. You, you want to be found. And that's what Jesus is saying. Whatever is hidden is intended to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is intended to be revealed. And then he explains it with a parable that he mentions here in, in verse 21. Actually, if you go back to verse 21, this is the explanation. He says, do you bring a lamp? in order to put it under a bowl or a bed. Now this is a picture, by the way, that Jesus will use, as a word picture, that Jesus will use multiple times in his ministry. Matthew chapter 5, he uses this exact same illustration, only he uses it differently. And this is kind of what us teachers do. We find a good story or a good illustration, and we'll use it over and over again, but we'll see new and varying truths out of it. All right? Right, Pastor Rocky? That's what we do. We're like, we just keep digging in that one illustration. And so this illustration, Jesus is digging a little deeper because we know historically or chronologically that he's already taught the Sermon on the Mount by this point. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the people. He says, you are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. And then he says, do you light a lamp and stick it under a bushel? The bushel is, is a bowl here. A bushel is a term for a, um, a jar that they would use to hold flour in. And so it was, a, it was a traditional, in an ancient Middle Eastern home, every home had a jar that they held flour in. And Jesus says, look, you're the light of the world. The city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Do you light a lamp and then stick it under a jar? right? He says, no. Instead, you put it up on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He says, in the same way, you let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he draws from this, this, this picture that Jesus would have grown up with 11 billion times as a, as, a, as a child and as a young. Every day, Jesus would have seen this ritual take place. The ritual of his mom or his dad lighting a candle at night. Why? Because they didn't have electricity. So every night you need some light. And the primary method of light in those days was a lamp. And by the way, just, just so you understand what, what a lamp would be, it would basically be similar to this. This was a bowl that I grabbed from, from our kitchen this morning. Because it's, sort of it's sort of a shallow bowl. I don't like eating cereal out of shallow bowls. So we got these for our wedding back in the day, 16 years ago. And then I went out and bought other ones because I don't like these. But, 
But this is great for soup, though, actually. It's not good for cereal. This is good for soup. So um, anyway, uh, so it's very shallow like this. And what they would have is they would, they would have some oil poured into this bowl. Sometimes there would be a little curve on the end, a little dip for the, the wick to lay on. So they would have a wick, maybe about four or five inches long. They would lay it in the bowl and then they would light the end of the wick. And so the wick then would draw the oil, just like a typical lamp, draw the oil and it would, the oil would be the fuel. But it's an open, it's usually an open kind of situation. And so that means during the daytime, because you're, you're living in a, in a house that's probably about 12 by 12 kind of square, made, house made of mud and clay. The floor is dirt, typically. In an ancient Middle Eastern home, the floor is dirt. There's not a lot of furniture at all. There, there would be a table that would be like a board ris, maybe raised about four inches off the ground. That's their dining table. Then they would have some mats around the, 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 the table that they would lay at. See, they didn't sit at the table to eat. They laid, they reclined, and so they would lay on their sides like this. Actually, it's better for digestion, by the way, if you, if you do that. So they would lay to eat, and then they would have a bed, which would also be on a, a board, you know, probably about five, five inches tall, lifted off the ground just a little bit so that when it rains, you're not getting soaked because this is a dirt floor. So water just comes on through, right? And so, so it's off the ground a little bit. And then they would have a couple of jars in the home, some necessary jars, one for flour, that's super necessary, another for oil. And uh, that's probably about it. And there's no toilets, there's no showers, there's no bathtubs in this house, there's no running water, there's no electricity. So there's not a lot in the home. But then there would also be a lampstand. Basically a stand that you would set this bowl with a wick on top of in order to help light the entire room when it got dark outside. So Jesus, as a boy, would have seen this happening every single day. All right, it's getting dark outside and his, and his mom goes and gets the bowl of oil because so so what he's saying is he says when you bring a lamp to light it you don't put it under the bed or under a jar because when you're not lighting it that's when you put it under a bed under a jar because during the day, you're not going to have a bowl up on the lampstand because there's a lot of busyness happening, people moving around, um, crushing the flour, or the grain in order to, to create the flour. Mom's doing a lot of work around that, this little 12 by 12 room. Kids are running around because they didn't have separate rooms for kids. So kids are running around and you got toddlers. So you're not going to put your oil up on a stand. Someone's going to bump it. It's going to spill and you're going to lose your oil. Instead, you, and plus you won't, don't want it to get contaminated. So you're going to cover it. So you're going to usually put it under a jar of some sort or slide it under the bed in order to protect it from getting contaminated. So what Jesus is saying, it's actually very deep. There's this little picture that he's drawing here. He's like, look, look ever since I've, a I've been a boy, I've seen my mom had the lamp. But when it's not dark out, you don't bring it out. You keep it hidden. You keep it protected. Because if you bring it out when it's not going to be used, it'll merely get contaminated. And so what he's saying is, is I'm concealing the truth from people who don't feel the need to use this word at the moment because if I bring it out and they don't realize how dark they don't think it's dark in their life I bring it out they'll think it's just an addition to their life so oh well this is a nice little knickknack I guess a bowl of oil I'll set this over here for when I need it and the problem with receiving truth that you're not ready to utilize 
is that the longer it sits unused, the more contaminated it gets. And then when you need to use it, it's not useful. This is, this is the danger of taking, of only taking notes on a sermon. Writing things down and not applying them to your life. You're storing them in your Bible and you can open it up and see all of these pages of all of the notes that you've written. Or maybe you're storing it on your iPad or on your phone like me. It's all there. And you can scroll through. Oh yeah, that was a good point. Wow, yeah, oh wow, that was great. Never put that to practice, but that was great. You know, that was really good stuff. The, the, the problem is the longer it sits with not being used, it gets contaminated. So Jesus says, I'm hiding it from people who aren't ready to use it yet. But to the disciples, he's bringing it out. To the disciples, he's, he's, he's bringing it out. Why? Because they realize how dark it is in their life. And they say, I need that. I need a light. And so for people who are ready to use the truth, he brings it out. So what was interesting then, right after this, Jesus actually gives some instruction. If we go on to verse 23, he gives uh, some instruction after this little parable of, of a typical evening in an in a ancient Middle Eastern home. Mom, dad gets out the, the, the lamp, lights the wick, puts it up on the stand. Right, And so then he says, so in light of that, in verse 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear. In the original language, it says, look at what you hear. Look at what you think about. It means to concentrate on, think about, be careful, really, what you hear. Because remember, we're talking about this, the soil of people's hearts, the seed of the word of God. And then Jesus says, okay, so the key to all of this is that you got to be careful what you hear. And so I looked up that word what, because I thought that was an interesting way of talking. It didn't make sense to me. Be careful what I hear. Well, the word what, is a, it's a small word. It's, it's a two letters, tau and iota. I think it's pronounced t or t if you're elongating the iota, but there's a, there's a hashtag above it, so I don't think it's elongated. So I think it's just t. And, it, and it's used multiple, it's used a lot in the New Testament, actually. Um, 280 times, I think it's, no, 260 times, it's used, it's translated as what, right? Um, so simply what, the, the substance of what you hear. Uh, 127 times it's translated who or whom. And then 66 times it's translated Why? So that's my, my sermon today. I want to talk to you about the what, the who, and the why we hear. And it's so important that you know the what, the who, and the why you are listening to and you are hearing. Jesus, first off, says that what, now let's go, that's, that's the main meaning of the word, what, translated 260 times in the New Testament, what. This is talking about the substance. Be careful about actually what you are hearing. Well, okay, so what should we hear, right? Jesus is clear. What you should hear is the Word of God. The Word of God is the seed. And so Jesus himself, he's the incarnate Word, but it's not just the incarnate Word, it's the actual Word of God. So the first thing that I want you to, to, to focus on, what you should hear, is the Word of God. The Word of God is, according to Jesus, a lamp. And that's what David said. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So the word of God is a lamp that when you are ready for it, when you are hungry for it, uh, 
God will bring it out in your life. He will put it up on a lampstand. He will light it. And then all of a sudden, that word will start opening up other things to you. You'll start realizing, you'll start to be able to see. Like, that's what's really interesting in, in this parable. Jesus draws a parable about hearing, but he doesn't use hearing at all. There's no listening involved in the parable. It's just seeing. Why? Because, because spiritually speaking, hearing is seen. That faith, which is spiritual sight, comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And so the first thing that God wants us to hear is his word. And I'm telling you, when you hear his word, it changes you. When you, over time, consistently hear the word of God, it changes you. You say, well, how do I hear the word of God? Well, it's what you're doing right now. You're coming to church, we're reading the word, we're opening up, dissecting it, explaining it in ways that you can understand, that's hearing the word of God. We're singing songs that oftentimes, the joy, the joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength, literally just the word of God. And so it's so important what you hear. It's so important that you fill your hearing with the word of God of God because the word of God doesn't return to him void. The word of God will accomplish what he sends it forth to do. The word of God is more powerful than a two-edged sword and it cuts to the heart of the matter, cuts right down and deals with us in whatever way that we need dealt with and encouraged and challenged and blessed and motivated and strengthened and, and awakened. The word of God is a lamp. In other words, it brings illumination to the place previously we were living in, we just couldn't see what was going on in our own home. We couldn't see what's going on in our own house. And the house is usually used in scripture to be a, a type and a shadow of the body. And so the word of God comes into a body and it reveals what's going on in your own mind. It reveals what's going on in your own emotions. It reveals, it, it shines a light on things. And so first off, Jesus says we need to hear the word of God. And that word is a lamp. That word is a light. And by the way, that word is going to be hidden until you feel the need for it. And so many times I'll be talking to people and they'll be like, man, I just wish I knew this. Like, I wish I knew now what, or I wish I knew then what I know now. Right? I just wish that, that I had the revelation then that I have now. I just wish that, and, and really what they're saying is like, like that <laughs> they almost, I think, imagine that they've always been ready. <laughs> and it was God that was slow to kind of open things up, but they've been ready. Like, man, when I was 17, if I would have had this, I would have like, <laughs> man, I'm telling you, like some of it, because, because what they do is they hear stories about me and I'm six years old and I respond to Jesus. I'm seven years old. I respond to Jesus. I'm 12 years old. I respond to Jesus. And so they imagine that it was just an opportunity that's a difference between me and them. <laughs> and certainly opportunity plays a role in it, but no, 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 no. Like it's not a difference of opportunity. God doesn't respect me any more than he respects you. He doesn't like me any more than he likes you. He doesn't have a greater plan for my life than he has for your life. It's literally, I mean, we're all the same. We're, we're all on the same level at the foot of the cross, right? And so, so God has the same kind of influence and, and power he wants to give you that he gives anybody else. And so it's not a matter of opportunity. It's a matter of response. It's a matter of who realizes how dark it is. 
Because that's the key. The, the, the mom or the dad in an ancient Middle Eastern home, they would look out the window, it's getting dark, I need to go get the lamp. But if you don't see it as dark, you're not going to go get the lamp. If you're, if you're happy with the darkness, if you like the darkness, then you're never going to be like, well, I guess I need some light. And the truth is, as long as we're drawn to darkness, we will never reach for the light. Right? And so, and so it's not that God has been holding out on us. It's not that God's been holding out on your loved ones. It's not that God's been holding out on your relatives that you've been praying for. It's not that God's holding out on them. They just don't realize how dark it is. <laughs> they don't see it. They like the darkness. They enjoy the darkness. They don't want a lamp. If you bring a lamp to them, they will knock it out of your hands and say, get that corn out of my face. It's a little reference there. I don't know. I looked like a fool last night. What took you so long? I just had a mental picture as I'm preaching. Supplies. <laughs> Get a corn out of my face. <laughs> but no, that, 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 but that, that's what happens when you try to force light on people who don't want it. This is why it's not our job to try to talk people into following Jesus or loving Jesus. Because it's not going to work. You're going to bring a lamp to them and they're like, get that coin. They don't want it. They don't want to see. They like the darkness is what scripture says. That they rejected the light because they love darkness. That's why they reject it. Because if, if, you, if you turn a light on, now I see how messy my house is. Now I see all the stuff I've left undone, all the people that I've hurt, and all the ways that I've broken my word, and all this, the mess that I'm in. I don't want to see that. I want to sit in darkness. And God doesn't force light on people. Because he knows how they'll respond. He knows that they'll reject it. And so because he doesn't want them to reject it, he waits and he hides it. You know, like he sticks it like under, under the bed. Under the very bed that they're sitting on. And so even in your own life, you might notice that, that, that throughout your life, once you come to Jesus and once you decide that you're ready and it's dark enough and you, you want to see, when you want to see, you might realize that actually within your own house, kind of like right under the bed that you've been sitting on, is the capacity to see. Like, like you've been making excuses for it. You've been, you've, been, you've been denying it. You've been imagining that the God just has to come in and do something amazing. But it's actually the, 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 the very word of God. God has been with you all along this journey. He's been in your house in that sense. He hasn't been allowed to light up. He hasn't been allowed to be honored and to be reverenced. But he's been there, been present, been waiting and as soon as you realize that you want to get out of the darkness, that's when, that's when suddenly out from under, within your very own home, within your very own soul, comes a desire to do what is right. From within your very own heart comes a desire to change course. From within your very own heart comes a want to that you never had before. What is that? Well, that's the father reaching under the bed, <laughs> fumbling around and grabbing what he placed inside of you all along, what he intended all along. He was never far from you. That's what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. He says, repent. And by the way, he's not far from you. He's never been far from you. 
He's always been within arm's reach. He's always just been under the bed. <laughs> or the monster under the bed. He's always been under the bushel. He's always been, he's al- he's always been in the house. He's always been available. So that when you actually decide, you know what, I want to see. I don't want to live in darkness anymore. Matthew uh, 4, 16, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, tells us this, that those who sat in darkness suddenly saw a great light. And this is in response to people who are responding to Jesus. Why? Because if you will acknowledge how dark it is, if you will acknowledge that you want to see, Jesus will reveal himself to you. And his word is powerful. His word is so powerful. And so what, the question is, what are you listening to? What is the soundtrack in your life? And, and this is just very practical, actually. I mean, literally, what are you hearing? Uh, podcasts? Sure. YouTube? Yeah. Entertainment? Yes. Music? Yes. But I'm telling you that the word of God needs to be involved in your life. And I'd say in a daily way. This is why reading the Bible is so powerful, even if you don't understand it all. Because faith comes by hearing, not by understanding. So what we do is we saturate our life with the Word of God where we're reading the Bible every day. We're coming to church, hearing the Word. And by the way, even if you don't read the Bible throughout the week and you merely just come to church and hear the Word, it has a positive effect on you. Like statistically, literally statistically, it has a positive effect. I know uh, people all the time, they quote, uh, it was a George Barna research from uh, 2008 where they were um, trying to figure out divorce rates and they found that in the, in the United States that divorce rates were about 50%. By the way, they're no longer 50%. They're, they're better than that now. Divorce rates are getting better. So awesome. Um, But in 2008, part of their survey, part of their survey was, um, what do we uh, do? How do you identify? Do you you identify as a Christian uh, or not? That was part of the survey. And so what they found is that people who identified as Christians and people who did not identify as Christians both scored the same. They were both scoring about a 50% uh, divorce rate. And so out of that, there's been a lot of misinformation that says, well, Christians, they, they, they have the same divorce rate as non-Christians. And that's not true because the, the question was not, are you a Christian? The question is, do you identify as a Christian? <laughs> and by the way, 74% of America identifies as Christians. 99% of Mexico identifies as Christians. So it's not really what you believe that's key. It's what do you do with that? What are you listening to? And so, so now, so, so recently they did some more research around this, and there was uh, research done by um, Bradford Wilcox, a sociologist at the University of Virginia, and the director of the National Marriage Project. And he went, he went back and sort of did some more further analysis of this, asking more questions. And now they ask specifically of Protestants who regularly attend church, are 35% less likely to divorce compared to those who have no affiliation, no religious affiliation. So, so take that into account, that for those who regularly attend church, so, so what there is, is there's a difference between people who call themselves Christians and those who regularly attend church. And I'm not saying that those who do not regularly attend church are not Christians. I'm just saying that those who are not regularly hearing the word of God will be influenced by other things. 
because you got to be careful what you hear. And this is interesting to me that even just, and I say just, just choosing to attend church, just hearing the word on a weekly basis. It says nothing about daily Bible reading or anything like that. Just hearing the word on a weekly basis, you are 35% less likely to get a divorce. So, so, that's, so that's why when preachers stand up and say, well, divorce rate's the same in the church as it is in the world, it's not technically true. The people sitting in his room have a 35% better chance of their marriage staying together. There's also higher rates of forgiveness among people who attend church on a regular basis. That's also connected to staying married, by the way. Uh, for those of you that are new to this whole marriage thing, that's a big deal. Being able to let stuff go, like that's a big, that's a big deal. No, and, 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 and you, you, you say, well, that, that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, are we preaching about marriage every Sunday? No, it's the Word of God. Just getting the Word into you starts to change the way that you think, starts to change the way that you act toward your spouse and toward those around you. By the way, people who attend church are more happy. Like literally in terms of the, the there's, this, there's this annual happiness survey that they do around two dozen different countries around the world. And in, 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 in half of those countries, they found there was a significant correlation between those who are attending church on a regular basis and high scores of happiness. Here in the U.S., if you attend church regularly, you score uh, 35% very happy. 35% of people who attend church very... So it's not that like Christians don't get sad, right? So, but 35% of us, really happy, very happy, as opposed to 25% if you don't go to church at all. By the way, if you're not related, if, you, if you're an atheist, say you have no religious affiliation at all, you also are 25% very happy. Meaning, you, it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you hear. I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to be the church. You're just as happy as the atheist across the street. Like statistically, you're just as happy as somebody who doesn't believe in God at all. You rate your life just as And so it's interesting to me how just, and I'm not talking about just church, but I mean, church is significant. Coming to church is significant. Having your children hear the word of God in kids' church. Having the 12, 13s hear the word of God over here. H having all of us participate in a reading of the word of God is significant. It does not return to him void. This is all churches, by the way. This is lame churches. This is... <laughs> It's not even as awesome as City Chapel. This is like all churches of all stripes, all denominations, right? Like some of them just kind of like it's really boring. They just read something. But even that has an effect. So there is no lame church, right? I mean, they, all, they, they do things a little different than I do them. But, but even more boring church and liturgical churches to stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and read this and respond to this. And you all say that and I'll say this. And that has an effect. It's amazing to me. The Word of God, just reading the Word over your kids and during the week has an effect. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful the, the substance. That's what the what is. It's the substance. What is the message that's coming from this song? Man, they, they could do a whole sermon series just on the power of music. I was talking to, talking to Ro a little bit ago and we were talking about how how we can see our weaknesses and tendencies in our kids. And uh, some of you are, the kid's getting old enough and you see that. And I know exactly what's going on. 
I can see it, right? I see, but, and, so, and so for those of you that don't know me, my weakness is, oh, one of them, is, um, is really uh, to be more melancholy. Or you might have noticed, to be a little more melodramatic. <laughs> it works good for preaching. But in like regular relationships and stuff, it's not great. Actually, it is great, but the world will twist it. So, so what, what I mean by that is about 12 years ago, we had, the kids were really young. Ro and I were going through a difficult time in our marriage. We've preached about this. And during that difficult time, there was a band that had just come out that I really liked their music. Um, the uh, Airborne Toxic Event. I don't know if you guys heard about them. They're not Christian. But anyway, most good music is not. But it was great. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've always, I've just been drawn to like, you know, creative, edgy stuff. And not awful stuff, not cussing. There's a, there's a little bit. But anyway, airborne toxic event. I was drawn to it. I like the sound. I love poetry. I think that's the issue. I, that's why I love Rich Mullins as a Christian writer, because he actually got into poetry. Most, most Christian songs, are just kind of like real, really predictable. The lyrics are super predictable. Anyway, so I, was, I listened to Christian stuff, but I also listened to Airborne Toxic Event a lot. Well, Airborne Toxic Event, um, their best album, which was their first album, uh, was written by like the lead singer, and uh, he, he was a music critic, and he's like, I could put together a band. It's really easy. And so he did, and like he wrote the whole album based off of this breakup that he had just had. So the whole, the whole album was about breakups, right? Which is not a good thing to be listening to if you're naturally like me, more melancholy. In other words, when things aren't working out, it's like, oh, I just need to give up. Like, that's just my personality. I'm just like, well, you know, it's just too hard. It's too difficult. And this is what all these songs are all about giving up and all about quitting and all about moving on, all this stuff. And I found that as I'm listening to this over and over and over again, it's impacting my mood. It's impacting my response to Roe. It's impacting my thoughts toward Roe. It's impacting all, I, I didn't even intend for it to impact me in that way. So I'm telling you, music is powerful. And good music, Christian music, can all, worship music can also be powerful. Listening to the word of God in music form can be powerful, even if, even if it's not your favorite song. So what I, had, I had to stop listening to the Airborne Toxic event because I realized after I'm listening to them, I'm thinking more of these negative thoughts. More on these melancholy thoughts. And so Ro and I are talking about with our kids. There's some songs that my daughter just doesn't need to listen to. Because the world will take that melancholy, which is great. It means I remember anniversaries. Okay? It means I remember important stuff. Like things aren't just things. They have significance to them. Right? Because that's where that happened and that's where that... So, so it's good, right? But the, the world will twist it and be like, well, yeah, so you, can, you need to hold that grudge and you need, to, you need to be idealistic and imagine everything's going to work out exactly the way you want it to. And if it's not, you need to be like a two-year-old and throw yourself in the middle of the grocery store and kick and scream and be like, eh, this is not working for me. Like, like, so the world will twist what God naturally put inside of me. And, and, like, and, and my wife is like the opposite where she, like her favorite song, well, one of her favorite songs growing up was Responsibility what's that I think that's the Beastie Boys maybe I don't know I didn't listen to that nonsense but she she was really into it and it's interesting because also like I see the same tendency in my son like authority who needs that responsibility who needs that like and so there's some good independence to all of that that's powerful you can be a leader God puts independence inside of people so that they'll stand alone for the truth but the world will twist it and be like, yeah, you don't need anybody telling you what to do. 
right? So the world will take it. And this is what secular artists tend to do because they themselves are trapped by their own stuff. And so what are you listening to? Be careful what you listen to. That's why gossip is so dangerous. It's, it's, it's just as dangerous to listen to gossip as it is to gossip. Proverbs says the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. That's candy. It's sweet in the mouth and it's bitter in the stomach. In other words, it tastes good to hear because, oh, I guess my life isn't so bad because, boy, those people are really messed up. <laughs> so it feels good to hear it. But as you digest it, if you only eat Snickers all day, every day, you're going to have a sore stomach. You're going to get some diarrhea. <laughs> like, so, that, because that's what, that's what gossip is. Gossip is, is spiritual diarrhea. It's just, it's just, and then, and then you end up ingesting it, and then you get sick, and then you make other people sick. And so, you, so sometimes Christians will be like, well, I didn't, I, I didn't say anything, I just listened. You know, that's like, oh, my, my kid had diarrhea. I didn't, I, I didn't tell him to go to the bathroom. I just stood there in the living room right there. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> when someone starts diarrheaing all over you, you need to tell them, hey, 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 this isn't the place for this. This is, there's, there's a restroom right over there, bro. It's like right over there, like take it to the Lord in prayer. Right over there. Get in your closet right over there. You got a problem with so-and-so, take it to them. They're right over there. <laughs> it's a gross illustration, but, but Merry Christmas. Hopefully it'll stick with you. That's my gift to you this holiday season. Be careful, Jesus says, what you hear are you listening to gossip because it is making you sick be careful are you listening to music that 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 affirms kind of your bad tendencies because that will make you sick be careful be careful what you're listening to the 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 substance of the message needs to be evaluated and then also the source of the message who and why are you listening who are you listening to? And this is something that's tricky. I'm getting ready to wrap up. I've taken a bit, enough of your time. But this is something that I think a lot of, especially new Christians, really struggle with. How to hear from God. And so they, they want to do what is right. They want to follow God. And unfortunately, they haven't learned how to hear from God. And so instead of relying on the Bible, which is really what you should do in those early stages. Just everything. Go back to the Word. Whatever the pastor says, okay, that's cool. Let me go to the Word. pastor said uh, that uh, uh, gossip is like diarrhea. I should go to the Word and see if that's true. You know, the pastor said you shouldn't listen to gossip. I should go to the Word and see if that's true. I should go to the Bible and see if that's true. He says, don't take my word for anything, actually. This is entirely just to stir you up so that you go home and research and see if what I'm saying is true. Right? So, so, so the Bible is the best foundation for what is true. But as you walk with God, you do learn in prayer to hear from him. And so there's the Logos word, which is the Bible. Then there's the Rhema word, which is the spoken the word that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. But many times we get confused by that. And new Christians especially, they're, they, they're too lazy to read the Bible because they don't understand it. Well, guess what? You'll never understand what you don't read. 
So, <laughs> not going to understand it any better by staying away from it, okay? So, reading it will help you understand it. And you can ask questions, you can join small groups, you can come to church. Hopefully, that'll help you understand. So, the point is to read it, but oftentimes we're too lazy to read it. Instead, we want God just to give us a sign. So, what happens is we get into witchcraft because we become people who are just always looking for omens, which is witchcraft, which is paganism. Right? And so, like, we'll, we'll pray, oh, Lord, you know, Lord, I just, I'm, I'm just feeling really lonely right now. Just feeling lonely. I need a godly spouse. And the next day, a beautiful, sexy woman will walk by us, and she'll smile at us. And we'll be like, oh, it's a sign. <laughs> and then they'll come talk to me, the pastor. You don't understand. I prayed the night before, and then she showed up. Well, that's what happens when you pray every night for God to send a beautiful woman your way. Like, yes, a beautiful woman ends up walking by you and smiles at you. Yeah, go figure. Like, have you seen the amount of guys they have to choose from out there? Like, slim pickings. Like, you're available. Okay, they might give you a shot, you know? This is not a sign from God. <laughs> but no, it's a sign. Oh, it's a sign. What, why? Because they're looking for a sign. They're looking for an omen. They're not listening to the word of God. Because, and this, is, this might be news for you, God's not the only one trying to talk to you. <laughs> God, the Holy Spirit isn't the only voice. God's, not, God's walking in the cool of the day in the garden, but he's not the only one. I mean, can you imagine? Eve and Adam are hanging out by the tree they're not supposed to eat, which that alone is a problem. And then a snake starts talking to Eve. Oh, it's a sign. I've been at this tree multiple days. Never had a snake talk to me. It must be God. Right? I really wanted to eat that tree. I was noticing how great it is. And then a snake starts talking. I mean, that's pretty crazy. You know, mostly it's like, I never drive that way to work. And this one day I drove that way. And oh my gosh, I saw her. And it's like, well, you know, that's not really that. It's not, it's not groundbreaking, dude. I never go to that gas station. I went there. She works there. <laughs> I know I'm picking on guys and girls. But, you know, we, we do that for all kinds of things. All kinds of things, you know. You know, I was really, really feeling like maybe I should tithe, but then, but then, pow, I get this ad for this thing I've been wanting. That's exactly the amount that I could be giving to God. Now I'm going to give, I'm going to get that. Must be God. I've had people blame their dead grandparents for life decisions, right? Because they had a dream. Granny showed up in my dream. Never had a dream like that before. You do realize that's not your grandmother, right? Like, like this is in your head. This is your dream world. Like, you. But, but we're looking, we're, we're grasping for, for truth outside of the word of God. And what happens is we just grab a hold of other messages that are trying to get to us. And if you are not hanging with God, if you are not close to him and you're hanging around a tree, a snake will be happy to come up and tell you what you want to hear. And will confirm your suspicions. Will confirm your flesh. Why? Because you're not really wanting to hear in order to see. You're not desiring a light. You're desiring permission. You're desiring an okay. And this is something that we've trained our kids on early on. They would ask us, and all they wanted was to get what they wanted. 
Dad, can I... Da, 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 da. They didn't want to know what I thought about it. They just wanted what they wanted and they needed permission. And you could tell this because whenever I gave them an answer, you know, no, because da, 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 it wasn't good enough. And so they would nag. <laughs> so if you have kids who nag, nagging is a sign that they're looking for permission. They're not looking to live under authority. They're wanting to run the ship, but they feel like they got to check it off with you first. And this is the same with Christians who nag God every day. Lord, I, I, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And then they look for signs for permission because, oh, okay, it must be okay. But man, if you're looking for permission, you are, you're not looking for light. You're not looking for a lamp. You're not looking to live under God's authority where he will show you what he desires. Instead, man, if, if you are lonely, God knows that. Don't you know that God understands what you need before you even ask? Don't you think that he wants to give you what you need? Don't you think that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that a beautiful woman will be added to you? <laughs> or a beautiful, faithful guy will be added to you? Don't you think, like, do you really think that, that God's going to leave you just out there lonely forever? No. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the word of God. Share your concerns with him. But whether you have a boyfriend or girlfriend for Christmas is not the point. <laughs> Right? I mean, it's not, it's not it. The, 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 because what, what will happen is God will light a light inside of your heart so that then you will be the kind of person that is attractive to the kind of person that you want to attract. That's a whole other story. But he wants, to, he wants to do something in you, not just give something to you. And so to live under authority says, God, come, 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 come light up my heart. Come light up my mind. Because I can't see for myself. I need you. I need you. And so I will put Jesus and his word on a lampstand. I will place it at the highest point in my life. My desires for uh, intimacy will be under that. My desires for validation and ministry will be under that. My desires for usefulness and service will be under that. I place everything under Jesus and his word. And I lift him up. And so, Jesus, right now, we come before you. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we, we, take, we take the word of Jesus and we elevate it above everything else in this season. A lot of things competing for our attention. A lot of people competing for our attention as well. But, Lord, we place all of that underneath Jesus. You are the most important thing to us. Hmm. Yeah. Jesus, you are the most important thing. Following you is the most important thing. Being obedient to you is my number one priority. And I place you at the highest place. And I ask for revelation. I ask for light. Sometimes light reveals things we don't want to see. Sometimes it reveals things we do want to see. <laughs> we don't, we're not in charge of what the light reveals. We simply ask for you to reveal we simply ask for you to light up our hearts, our minds, and show us our why. Help us to see why. 
we're seeking you, why we're going after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, thank you for joining us today. I uh, will see you tonight if you're going to help us set up or sign up at 4.30 out, out front here. Otherwise, have a great day, and we'll see you Saturday, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve service, 10 a.m., candlelight service. You're dismissed. You can move about the cabin.